Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But notice in verse 9, the king of the earth who committed fornication, the kings of the earth, live luxurious with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her great torment, saying, Alas, alas. And that is the word that we, where we get uh, the word woe from. Today on our program, our scripture says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment. Welcome to today's study. The process of judgment on Babylon begins. So great is the heat and the smoke of her burning that these kings must stand at a distance. Some think this may be an indication that nuclear weapons were used in the judgment of these commercial centers. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study in chapter 18 in the book of Revelation. Notice verse 5 in our text says, For her sins, Babylon's sins, have reached to heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. See, God has a perfect memory. He is very much aware of the foundation of Babylon, what it has, the beginning of it, what he had to do to break it up and spread everybody across the earth, and, and, and they had to learn different languages because he, he broke up their languages. He understands the sin. He understands the foundation. He understands the roots of it that are in our culture right now, all over the world, actually. And you cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. You cannot. He's omniscient. Try playing chess with God. I'd like to see Kasparov and those other fancy Russian guys go to, go to sit down at a chess match, and the Lord just shows up and goes, the game's over. What do you mean? I haven't even moved a piece. Well, go for it. I'll show you. It's going to be over. I got move. Queen's Gambit means nothing. I got to move, and one move, I can checkmate you and throw them right off. What? I, I never heard of that before. The Queen's Gambit, I knew it, but what, what's a... Uh, uh? Yeah, he's that good. <laughs> amen? Isn't he that good? Can I get an amen in the house? Yes, he is that good. I love him. Do you love him? I love him. He's so good. In spite of all the nasty, filthy, ugly stuff we're going through, aren't you ready to be done with it? I'm ready for the election to be over and us to take off these masks and put our things back together again. I'm sick of this. Looking forward to it. Lord, help. Amen? But notice in verse 6, he says, Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed. Mixed. Mixed double for her. God is going to take wrath out on this system 
that has plagued the earth from its very core, from its very beginning. Notice verse 7, In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I am a queen and am no widow, and I will see no sorrow. Therefore, notice, her plagues will come in one day. One day, they will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. In Isaiah chapter 47, it says this, Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, speaking of Babylon, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. This is Babylon boasting of itself. And you notice how God right here in the, at the very end in Revelation is saying, I know what that passage spoke of because I wrote it, because that was what was in your heart. But I'm telling you now, you, are, will, you will be judged. And this is what you're saying. Nor shall I know the loss of children. And then verse 9 of Isaiah 47 but these two things shall come to you in, mo- in, a one, in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. And he goes down in verse 11 of that same chapter, and he says, Therefore evil shall come upon you, Babylon. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you, and you will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you, what? Suddenly. Suddenly, which you shall not know. It's going to happen suddenly, folks. History proves that it didn't happen suddenly. Babylon was never destroyed. It slowly went into ruin. It was never, ever destroyed. That means that it has to be something yet future. See, after the the church is removed, we believe... Now, you may think that it's not possible for Babylon to be rebuilt again, but it's not really that big of a deal. Chicago and Dubai, these cities have been destroyed from fire and other things, and they have built themselves up in a very short period of time. A very short period of time. And some believe that after the church is removed, there may be a period of time, and it could be 20, 25 years. It could be five years. We don't really know. But there, there could be a period of time before the Antichrist makes that treaty with, with Israel. And then, at that point, is when that seven-year period starts to tick off, that 70th week of Daniel. Okay? So there could be a period of time there for Babylon to be rebuilt. And it's already in the process right now. I don't know if you knew that. We'll look at some pictures later. But notice in verse 9, the king of the earth who committed fornication, the kings of the earth, live luxurious with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her great torment, saying, alas, alas. And that is the word that we, where we get uh, the word woe from. Uh, it means just, uh, and it's an exclamation of grief. And uh, she's going to say, alas, alas, for that, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for what? In one hour, one hour, your judgment has come. Your judgment has come. And you're going to see in Revelation chapter 18, um, verse 16 and verse 19, this same phrase, alas, alas, the great city, clothed with fine linen. Alas, alas, that great city who with all of her ships on the sea, they're all going to be looking at her, seeing her destruction, her burning. For in one hour your judgment has come. In Revelation, uh, the, or the 17th verse of the chapter that we're looking at this morning, what does it say? For in one hour. Now I'm making a point here. I'm saying one hour. It's going to happen in one hour, in a day, in an hour. It's going to happen very suddenly. It says in verse 17, it says of this chapter, in one hour such great riches come to nothing. In verse 19, it says, for in one hour she is made desolate. 
Do you get the point? It's going to happen suddenly. It's never happened suddenly. And so why build Babylon anyway? Henry Morris says this. He says, not only is it the, in the beautiful and fertile Tigris-Euphrates plain, but it is near some of the world's richest oil reserves, because it's right there near Babylon, or right there near Baghdad. It's, it's, um, I believe Babylon is just a little bit north of, of, of Baghdad, or it might be the other way around, I forget, but very close by. <clears throat> Excuse me. Computer studies for the Institute of Creation Research have shown, for example, that Babylon is very near the geographical center of all the Earth's land masses, so it makes a great uh, strategic place to have a city. It is within navigable distances of the Persian Gulf and is at the crossroads of the three great continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa. And there is no more ideal location anywhere for a world trade center, a world communication center, a world banking center, a world education center, or especially a world capital. With all these advantages and with the head start already made by the Iraqis, it is not far-fetched to suggest that the future capital of the United Nations Kingdom, the ten-nation federation established at the beginning of the tribulation, should be established there. And we know that that is happening. We know that that is happening. The Iraqis, Saddam Hussein, we're going to look at this a little bit later, has been building it, had been building it up until the time he was captured. But ancient Babylon has not been destroyed. So there are some key passages that we're going to, we're only going to look at a few of these because of time. But notice when it says in one hour, in verse 10 here, it says in one hour your judgment has come. And these are the key passages, and we're going to look at those. Because remember, when the Medes and the Persians, again, when they invaded Babylon in 539 B.C., and it's recorded for us in Daniel 5, remember when Belshazzar was having that drunken orgy with all the articles of the temple that, they, that Babylon, that Nebuchadnezzar had gotten from the temple in Jerusalem? And the king is sitting there having this drunken uh, party, and he sees the writing on the wall. It was that very night that the Medes and the Persians, they were already damming up the river north of Babylon and diverting the water so that they could come right under the bridge because the stream of Babel, or the river of Euphrates ran right center through the city of Babylon, right straight through it, and there was a gate. And that gate, or the water coming in, um, kept the soldiers or anybody entering. But once that river was dammed up, we'll look at this in a few minutes, they were able to just come in and the city was taken without anybody having to fight. It was a done deal. And... And so he didn't come in, Cyrus, when he invaded of the Medes and the Persians. He didn't destroy the city. It was too beautiful. And he was a polytheist himself, and he wanted to appease the gods. There was no reason to destroy such a beautiful city. Now it's his, right? Wouldn't you do that? Why would you destroy a city if you don't have to? Herodotus tells us uh, this. He says, Cyrus conducted the river by a channel into the lake, And so he made the former course of the river passable by the sinking of the stream. And when this had been done, the Persians, who had been posted for this very purpose, entered by the bed of the river Euphrates into Babylon, the stream having sunk so far that it reached about to the middle of a man's thigh. And those Babylonians who dwelt in the middle did not know that they had been captured. And so there was no need for a big bloody battle. They were taken over very quickly. They had no idea. So this is not the destruction of Babylon. 
but yet the prophets tell us that it will be destroyed. So this can't possibly be what it is. I remember in 1990, I was in Europe, and actually in the British Museum in London, I got to see the Cyrus Cylinder, and there's uh, some other proof that shows this. Right on the Cyrus Cylinder, Cyrus put this. He says, without, and these are his own words on the cylinder that I saw. With, without any battle... Sparing Babylon any calamity, I, Cyrus, king of Babylon, when I entered Babylon under jubilation and rejoicing, troops walked around Babylon in peace. I did not allow anybody to terrorize any place of the country of Sumer and Akkad. I drove for peace, I strove for peace in Babylon and in in all his other sacred cities. I returned to these sacred cities on the other side of the Tigris, the sanctuaries of which have been ruins for a long time, the images which used to live there and establish for them permanent sanctuaries. So he didn't destroy it. He came in and actually fortified it. And he goes on and he says, And I also gathered all their former inhabitants and returned to them their habitations. Furthermore, I resettled, I unharmed in their former chapels, the places which make them happy. May all the gods whom I have resettled in their sacred cities ask daily Bel and Nebo for a long life for me. All of them I resettled in a peaceful place, ducks and droves. I encountered, I endeavored to fortify, repair their dwelling places. So it was never destroyed. It was never destroyed. In fact, John Walvoord, who is a, a really wonderful man, A prophecy expert, he said this, As far as the historic fulfillment is concerned, it's obvious from both scripture and history that these verses have not been literally fulfilled. The city of Babylon continued to flourish after the Medes conquer it, and though its glory dwindled, especially after the control of the Medes and the Persians ended in 323 B.C., the city continued in some form or substance until A.D. 1000 and did not experience a sudden termination such as is anticipated in this prophecy. Amazing. In fact, we're going to look at some verses below that speak of Babylon will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you've been to Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) There's nothing there. It's been destroyed, Genesis 19. When we go to Israel, we see the... We go on by the Dead Sea, and and that city is no longer there. The remnants of it are there, but it's been destroyed. Uninhabitable has always been. It's never been inhabited ever since that happened. And Babylon in the future will be built again. The Antichrist will be there, and it will be destroyed, and it will lay waste. Get this, for at least a thousand years. Because remember, when Jesus comes back to the earth, Babylon is still going to be there, but it's going to be destroyed, and its smoke is going to ascend forever and ever. That's what the Bible says. So it's still going to be in ruin, and you'll be able to visit it in your new body when you come back with Christ. You can take a trip to Babylon and have lunch on the outskirts of it and see the smoldering. Take a little basket with your family and friends. Have a little worship service. Maybe bring some marshmallows and light it over the fire. But notice what it says in Isaiah 13. Notice, Isaiah 13, speaking of this day... It says, the day of the Lord. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Verse 9, behold, the day of the Lord comes. We know that the day of the Lord is really, it really begins at the rapture of the church and lasts for some time afterwards, at the very least through the tribulation period. 
The day of the Lord is God's wrath. And notice, he's speaking about this place, this Babylon. He says, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land, speaking of Babylon, to lay it desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened, and it's going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. And notice what it says, I will punish the world Notice, it's not just Babylon. He says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. It's going to happen suddenly. In Isaiah 13, verse 19, it says, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited. Today, it's being inhabited. Right now, Babylon, there are uh, Arabs and people... In the ruins of Babylon, we'll see pictures here shortly. But notice, so this can't be something that's already happened. It's yet future to us. Because it says it will not be, it will never be inhabited. And if God says it's never going to be inhabited, like Sodom and Gomorrah, he means what he says. He doesn't need to make up anything. Nor Notice what it says in verse 20 of Isaiah 13. Nor will it be settled from generation to generation, because the millennial reign, people are still going to be living Right? And that thing is still going to be smoking. Nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will shepherds make their sheepfolds there. And yet, what do we see in Babylon? Even in the late 19th century up to the current day, we see these things happening. In fact, as we look at, um, we're going to look at some chapters in uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51. And there's, uh, I'm not going to leave this up here for very long, but if you look at uh, Jeremiah's 50, chapters 50 and 51, and you look at uh, Revelation 17 and 18, which we have been going through, there are so many parallels between these two things, because God speaks of a, of a golden cup, and the fact that Babylon dwells on many waters, that it's involved with nations, that it's named the same, that it's destroyed suddenly, it's destroyed by fire, it's never to be inhabited. And God's people flee, and heaven rejoices. These parallels are in the Word of God. And so let's look at a few of these. We're just going to look at a handful of these. And they go, they go pretty quick. It says in Jeremiah chapter 50, For behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. And again, this is not referring to um, this must be referring to Babylon's final destruction uh, and yet future because that's never happened. In fact, when you look at what happened in Persia or in Babylon when the Medes and the Persians came, there were at least four things that happened. The Persians came from the east. They didn't come from the north. The Medes and the Persians, they came from the east. Secondly, when Cyrus took Babylon, he didn't lay waste to the city. We know that. And no one fled from the city. Because Daniel was still there. Daniel served under Cyrus and under his successor. No one fled. Notice what it says in Jeremiah 50, verse 12 and 13. Your mother shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the least of the nations shall be a wilderness, speaking of Babylon, a dry and a land and a desert, because the wrath of the Lord shall because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited. She won't be inhabited. She will be wholly desolate. 
Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at all of her plagues. In Jeremiah 50, 26, what does it say? Destroy her utterly, let nothing of her be left. In Jeremiah 50, 39, it says, it's inhabit- It shall be inhabited no more forever, nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. In Jeremiah 51, 37, Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without inhabitant. That has never happened. It is still doing fine right now. There are people living in Babylon, even as early as the 19th century. And Jeremiah, finally, in Jeremiah 51, verse 43, her cities are a desolation, a dry and a a wilderness, a land where no one dwells, through which no man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon. I will bring out of his mouth what he has swallowed, and the nation shall not stream to him any more. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. Now let's go back to uh, Isaiah 13, because let's take a look at something here that's really interesting. It says that it will never be inhabited, and it will be, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But what is interesting here is that there's a photo that was taken, and this is in Babylon, of, of people, uh, shepherds, uh, uh, with their flocks in Babylon. And on the back side of this photo, it actually says a typical Arab village uh, in Lower Babylon, in Mesopotamia, and this was uh, in the late 18th century. We see also another photo of an Arab dwelling at Babylon in 18, around 1899. You can see a man up there. He's, he's dwelling in it. And yet the Bible says that it's not going to be inhabited. It's going to be without inhabitant, that there's going to be nobody around. It's going to be desolate for, for good. And if God says it, he means it. And this is further proof that God says what he means, means what he says. When he says that it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And folks, it's yet future to us because these photos don't lie. There's even a mosque uh, that's pitched on some of the ruins there in uh, Babylon right now. There's a picture of it right there. And not only that, but Saddam Hussein, when he came into power uh, from 1979 until 2003, he saw himself as like Nebuchadnezzar reincarnate, and he wanted to build Babylon back to its former glory days. And you remember in the Gulf War, when we went over there and destroyed a lot of things, the Allied forces in the United States, they didn't shoot down and blow up all of his mansions, all of his palaces. You're going to see pictures of them in just a second, because those things remained, and that's going to be the very foundation, we believe, of what is coming yet. They're beautiful buildings. They spent millions and millions, billions of dollars on these things. And so Babylon is just waiting for the church to go bye-bye. Babylon is waiting for the church to be removed. And it can continue its progress. And the unchurched person could care less. Oh, cool, Babylon. I've heard about that. Anybody with any kind of discernment knows that nothing good happened in Babylon, and neither anything good will happen in Babylon. But to the, uh, to the unchurched, unregenerate man, they're going to think it's really awesome. Hey, we're returning to our foundation. That sounds like such a good thing, doesn't it? Sounds very patriotic. Sounds very, ah, we're finally coming back to the beginning, back to our source, our origin again. Boy, that feels so good. It sounds so good, but it's so deadly. Saddam Hussein was rebuilding it. In fact, the, re- the rebuilders who were building the palaces right on the foundation of Nebuchadnezzar's palace, they actually he built his palace right on the foundation of Nebuchadnezzar's palace. They 
spent and they, they, they took bricks and they kilned, they kilned them, they kiln dried them so that they would last for a long time. Millions and millions of bricks they, bent, they, they, they put in to uh, rebuild Babylon. And on each of those bricks, guess what it says inscribed on the side of the brick? Rebuilt in the era of our president, Saddam Hussein. Wow, how modest of him. But it already has a foundation. Here's some pictures. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.